kinds of performances to see the glaring beauty of a beautiful woman. Here it is stated that they saw the girl playing with a ball. Sometimes the demoniac arranged for so-called sports, like tennis, with the opposite sex. The purpose of such sporting is to see the bodily construction of the beautiful girl and enjoy a subtle sex mentality. This demoniac sex mentality of material enjoyment is sometimes encouraged by so-called yogis who encourage the public to enjoy sex life in, in different varieties and at the same time advertise that if one meditates on a certain manufactured mantra, one can become God within six months. The public wants to be cheated and Krishna therefore creates such cheaters to misrepresent and delude. These so-called yogis are actually enjoyers of the world garbed as yogis, or in other words, bogies. <laughs> Bhagavad Gita, however, recommends that if one wants to enjoy life, then it cannot be with these gross senses. A patient is advised by the experienced physician to refrain from ordinary enjoyment while in the diseased condition. A diseased person cannot enjoy anything. He has to restrain his enjoyment in order to get rid of the disease. Similarly, our material condition is a diseased condition. If one wants to enjoy real sense enjoyment, then one must get free of the entanglement of material existence. In spiritual, life, we can enjoy sense en in, in spiritual life, we can enjoy sense enjoyment which has no end. The difference between material and, and spiritual enjoyment is that material enjoyment is limited. Even if a man engages in material sex enjoyment, he cannot enjoy it for long. But when the sex enjoyment is given up, then one can enter spiritual life which is unending. In the Bhagavatam, 5th canto, chapter 5, text 1, it is stated, Brahma-Sokya, spiritual happiness, is ananta, unending. Foolish creatures are enamored by the beauty of matter and think that the enjoyment it offers is real, but actually, that is not real enjoyment. Om shalakaya Sakshuru Meditandina, Tasmai Sri Guruvena Maha, Sri Tetanyamano Vishtam, Stapitam Dina Bhutale, Svayam Rupa Kadamayam, Vidati Svapatandikam, Pandeham Sri Guru, Sri Tapadakamalam, Sri Gurum Vaishnavam Sha, Sri Rupam Sagajatam, Sagadaragunatam, Vitam Tam Sajivam, Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Tetanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakan Vitamscha Panchakalpa Turubhyascha Kripasinu Vyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namoma Jai Sri Krishna Tetanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gauravaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare 
as it is through the program, gives us the, the clear message, unambiguous. Uh, I was just reading in the 11th canto, there's a nice description by uh, one of the nine Yogendras, and there's a description of how one is cheated. First, there's a description in the 11th canto of, of pure, pure devotional service and the symptoms of the various levels of devotees. And then there's, in this chapter I was reading this morning, it was about those who are cheated or bereft of uh, the benefit of the human form of life. And it's interesting because there were two categories. One was the completely foolish um, attached to um, gross sense enjoyment and who completely neglect any sort of uh, dharmic life at all. And it's interesting because it's described that they're actually more qualified to receive the mercy of the Lord and the devotees because they're so fallen. And the next category was the so-called religionists, those in the name of religion who are actually propagating uh, enjoyment in the material world, uh, even taking the Vedas as a means for rationalizing material sense gratification. In, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes that these are the what is it, the Veda, the, the so-called follow of the Vedas, and it's, it's, they, they're enamored by the flowery language of the Vedas, which, which advertise promotion to higher planets where the level of sense gratification is, is enhanced, and especially because of the uh, beauty of the women in the higher planets. So this is, it's the, uh, everything is, um, you could say, motivated or inaugurated by this mode of passion. Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita that when the living entity comes in contact with the mode of passion, his pure love for Krishna is transformed into lust. And when that lust is frustrated, one becomes angry, and that anger is um, actually the greatest enemy. Because when one, when one becomes angry, you completely lose your intelligence. And Krishna describes the whole sequence of losing your intelligence by contemplating objects of the senses, becoming attached, becoming lusty, desiring, and then and then that process of being frustrated and then becoming angry, one loses one's intelligence. And in this 11th canto, uh, this, the, the, uh, one of the Nada Yogendras, he was saying that the most dangerous thing is anger, actually. He said that the yogis, uh, those who follow... Um, the Varnashram, the path of Varnashram, and, and gradually become frustrated by going through regulated sense gratification, generally speaking, going through household or life, and so on, and being exhausted, 
and then and then taking up spiritual life. But the the so-called renouncers who give up any sort of sense gratification in the name of renunciation, their heart, it, their heart is not purified, even though they may externally give up gross material sense gratification. But the heart is not purified. And what happens is that they become very angry. They become very bitter because not only do they not get material sense gratification, but they don't get ultimate liberation. And ultimate liberation is being reinstated in one's constitutional position as a servant of Krishna. Even if one rises to the level of Brahman, one still will fall down being um, miserable not having loving relationships. So, but anyways, in, in this commentary, the Acharyas were saying that this anger that these munis or these yogis, um, they, it's actually compared, it says it's compared to the water, another one of these water and the footprint of the calf analogies, that they apparently rise to such an exalted state of renunciation, but they drowned in the water of this calf's hoofprint of anger. <laughs> so this is the, the big, you know, this, this, this greatly sinful enemy that, that Krishna describes as lust, but it's really, it's the, the, the flip side of the coin, lust and anger, it's passion and ignorance. And ignorance is the fundamental principle of material existence. Even one may be have some influence of goodness or passion, the underlying principle is ignorance, so we're trying to ignore Krishna, and we're trying to imitate Krishna. So the big danger of succumbing to unrestricted sense gratification is that, that one ultimately becomes a bitter old man. <laughs> or old lady. Um, I mean, it's pretty common. I had, when I worked for the University of Arizona, there was driving those shuttle buses, the Catran buses, there was one 80-year-old bus driver. And uh, I would try to greet him, you know, nicely, hey, I can't remember what his name was, whatever his name, Charlie or whatever. I said, hey, Charlie, good morning. He said, what's so good about it? <laughs> that was his response. What's so good about it? He was just, you know, he was forced, he had to work, you know, whatever his retirement plans hadn't panned out. So here he was, 80 years old, driving a bus. And he was just, uh, I think, one of the most unhappy person I've, people I've ever met. And no matter what you said to him, it was, it was always like they say, walking on pins and cushions, you know, like, he had to be really, like, prepared for the snap back response so um, so this this uh, frustration or anger and then when losing one's intelligence and that's that same verse that I was talking about those who how does it start out the yene rabindaksha vimuktamanina fayasta bhagat abhishuddha buddhayo that it's impure intelligence and that's that's the big um uh, what do you call it? The big whammy is that Srila Bhaktivedanta describes in one song, he says that, you know, the more I became educated, 
the more foolish I became. Because I became proud of my education. And that's really the hallmark of a fool, is that one is proud. And uh, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta, he describes that the desire for respect is compared to the stool of a hog. Hogs eat stool. So you can imagine the stool of a hog, how nasty that is. So this desire for respect or pride, this is the, you could say, the crown jewel of the ignorant. And we have, you know, we can't avoid it. It's, it's such a big deal right now. But when we have the leader of the free world, as they say, you know, being the most, just the epitome of pride. I was telling, who was that? I was telling Teresa Bubuiza, I thought, you know, because it's so easy to point fingers, you know, but I thought, Donald Trump is sort of like the overt manifestation of every conditioned soul's heart, you know? Like, we may not be able to flout, flout, flout it? Is it flout? Flout? Or flaunt. Flaunt. Because he's got all this money and he's got this power and position. But within our heart, we're all like little Donald Trumps, you know? Like, you know, we've all got our agenda of wanting to be respected and appreciated and... Uh, Rana Swami, he was giving a class in Mayapur and he was talking about this and the way he said it was so great. He said, this petty desire for respect. Petty desire for respect. And again, when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta is saying, it's this desire for respect is like the stool of a hog. So, in a, in a graphic image, I thought, you know, if we walk in, that's what the great, I remember last week, when it, week weekend when I came in here, I felt so small. I was sitting just in the kirtan, and I just felt so small. And I thought, ah, oh, again, you know, just, just being cut down to side, you know, coming to the association of the Vaishnavas, all the darkness is illuminated, you know? You can't hide. So if we, if we step into the association of devotees with the desire for respect, it's like we're walking in and we're covered in stool. You know, it's just, everybody can see it and everybody can smell it. But the unique power of Maya is that those who are smeared with it have no idea that they're smeared with it and that they smell. It's just the power of, of illusion. So, the various um, pitfalls, you know, the subtle desire here, it's especially amplifying or focusing on this, the gross material enjoyment of, of gross sex life. But uh, Ganapati Swami once, he, there was a verse similar to this. We were in Chicago when, this is a long time ago, but I'll never forget. You know, here is a sannyasi. These were in the earlier days when sannyasis were, um, you know, especially, you know, if you came into a verse like this, they would, you know, pull out both barrels and start blasting. And so here, here this verse came, and it was, you know, condemning, you know, material sense gratification and sex life and everything, and, and, and all in our young, 
enthusiasm. Okay, here we go, Maharaj. Let's hear it. You know, give it to us. You know. And I remember, and he just started talking about humility, and you know, the real problem is desire for profit, adoration, and distinction. You know, we're kind of like, uh, you know, you know we wanted to hear you. You know, lay into the materialists. You know, it's it's a type of enjoyment, and you know, to, to talk about the folly. If without compassion for the conditioned souls, if we just ram and talk about how foolish the conditioned souls, it becomes a type of sense gratification. You know, like, like well, we're better than you. We're not as you know, we're not such a fool that we're succumbing to the um, the allurements of Maya, and so on. So, um, but above and beyond talking about the the dangers and pitfalls of you know, because it's coming, it's like if you're, on a, if you're on a number line and you're in negative numbers, you know, you're moving forward if you come to zero. True. But zero's still zero. You have to move into the, you know, you have to keep moving along the number line to come to the positive numbers. So if we just focus exclusively on the perils and pitfalls of material sense gratification, which we must do, because without, Prabhupada was saying, if you don't understand your disease, how will you be cured of it? And he was specific, it was in the past sense of a jambial, succumbing to lust, seeing the, you know, the unrestrained embrace of the shudra, shudrani, and he became contaminated, even though he was a, a pure Brahmin, you know, upbringing, and then his whole life of degradation and then finally his redemption at the end such a important story it's right there in the middle of the Bhagavatam it's important because uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur he talks about the Bhagavad Gita the most important part is in the middle the middle six chapters and he describes that just like in olden days or maybe not even olden days people they would hide money in books they would put it in the middle of the book so the most important teachings in Bhagavad Gita are the, the middle six chapters. And, and it's interesting though, in the Bhagavatam too, this Ajamyo pastime is right in the middle, the sixth canto. And it, it really amplifies how one is saved from degradation through the chanting of the Holy Name. And how more relevant could it be in Kali Yuga when, uh, when it's just out of control, rampant, and Prabhupada, in the purport, he talked about the yogis who are encouraging, <clears throat> Prabhupada says, the so-called yogis who encourage the public to enjoy sex life in different varieties. So, I was listening to this lecture this morning, and Prabhupada was exactly saying that, yoga for sex. And when we were, when we were in, uh, in, in Pacific Beach, where the temple is, right on Grand Avenue, right across the street from Grand Avenue, there was a, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a retail storefront, but it had different stores. But at one point, it became a fitness place that was like a multi, it had yoga and Pilates and weights and stuff. And their, their big promo on the, on the window, I can't remember the name of it was, it was some kind of gym. And it, the big promo, it said, look good naked. <laughs> that was the big banner. You know, so this is the, you know, the idea of yoga, you know, become 
get a yoga bod, you know, so that you can enjoy sense gratification on a, you know, in a, in a more, and, and this is the whole point of the Vedas too, that this going on the merry-go-round, going up, coming down, going up, coming down, you're basically, as they say, spinning your wheels. You're just going up and down, up and down, enjoying on a higher level and the higher planets and coming down and it's all, um, it's all a waste of time unless you, uh, you know, there's some relative, um, you know, first class prisoners got a view, you know, but it's all, you're all stuck in the material world, regardless of one's status. And uh, the whole, you know, the Brahminical culture that is being emphasized, you know, in, in the Vedic literatures, um, you know, it's exalted when one is renounced. I remember when I was in Mayapur in 2012, when Sir Prabhu was there too, I remember it was such a relief to not feel the pressure of having to impress people with some, what do you call it, uh, swag? You know, it's the, the, they call it swag when you have jewelry and nice clothes and, you know, got my swag. My car, my fancy car, my nice house, my clothes, my jewelry. Um, but like in Mayapur, you know, it's all, one, there's just so many poor, you know, people there that at the time I was living in my van back in here and I just thought, wow, if I, li if I had my van here, I'd be living high on the hog. You know, it's all relative. But there was just, it was like this relief of not having to worry about how good I looked. And this magnetic pull of the deities, it was like this effortless, you would just get up in the morning, it was like this magnetic pull, like all the devotees coming to the temple, you know, from the surrounding, you know, whatever, acres. There was like this magnetic pull of the deities, that, and it made this, it was like this, I would say effortless, but you could feel this tangible uh, attraction that Krishna was, you know, beautiful Radha Madhava and the Panchatattva. It was, uh, it was just wonderful. And, and, and because that pressure of, of sense gratification was, to some extent, you know, I mean, wherever you are, if you want to be in Maya, you can be in Maya, even if you're in the Holy Dham. But um, it was this tangible feeling of just relief. Like, I don't feel this pressure, pressure, pressure of trying to uh, impress others um, in, in terms of one's material, either body or, or possessions. It was just like, ah, relief. I can just chant Hare Krishna. And uh, so this, this uh, you know, Brahma Salkim, this, this spiritual happiness, you know, Prabhupada, I remember when I saw the lecture, it was Prabhupada's lecture, I think he was one of the teachings of Queen Kunti, those famous, I think they're in black and white, and they, I think they're in New York. Prabhupada's lectures. Yeah. Anyways, it was the black and white. Prabhupada has those, those, 
black plastic glasses and a horn-rimmed black plastic glasses. So Prabhupada was talking, and, and I had heard this, so many devotees had given this example, but when I actually saw Prabhupada give the example, and he Prabhupada said, if you, if you have something in your hand, you're holding something in your hand, and I want to give something to you, you know, you have to first give up. You know, you have to first let go, you know, in order to accept, you know. So, but when I saw Prabhupada do it, it was just, it, somehow or other, it was just like, wow! You know, it was so cool just to see Prabhupada, you know, holding his hand like this, and then, there it is! What I've been hearing all these years, you know, so that, you know, we have... You know, probably, you know what, is, what is the difficulty? Chanting, dancing, feasting. But it's this holding on to these petty desires for respect and whatever form of gross sense gratification because we're unwilling to let go. We can't fully accept the, hap- the spiritual happiness of, of chanting the holy name and association with devotees. Um, that's what, one of the great things I know devotees when we, when we were going out regularly you know on, on book distribution or whatever collecting and when you were confronted with the you know the unhappy conditioned souls it was just so apparent that people were not happy and you come back and the devotees with their effulgent faces and just, you know, the clean, the, the incense and the cleanliness. After being out in the dirty, stinky, material world. I remember I lived in New York once in the early 80s. I spent the summer in the Brooklyn Temple there. And, you know, and Prabhupada would talk about New York and it just smells like urine. You know, it, literally, it just stinks. New York just stinks. And the garbage, because they don't have, you know, they didn't have like big garbage dumpsters. And everybody took all these bags of garbage and they would just sit them out on the sidewalk, these plastic bags. And in the hot summer, you've got all this fermenting garden. Sometimes the bags would leak and there'd be this juicy, and it just stunk. It just stunk. And I just thought, what is the appeal? New York, like this place is just... Ugh. You know, I'm going on the subways, you know, it's just, you know, it, and for my, my ears are shot and I'd be down in the subways and the, you know, the, the screeching of the subways, you know, when the subway or the train would come in, it would just be like, Aah. and it, it was just like, what is the enjoyment of New York? And people are just like, oh, New York. everything is there it's just you know yeah it's just in full bloom Kali Yuga is in full bloom so um, like think of Prabhupada coming you know from Vrindavan you know coming to New York and the Bauer and just to see and what is what's that famous verse when when Chichiketu was cursed by Parvati you know and uh, was it was it Parvati who spoke the verse, or was it Shiva when he said, you know, how he one Narayana Parasarve Nakutasana Bibiti? 
you know, just see how wonderful the devotees are, you know, whether they're in heaven or hell or whatever, they're the most, they're cursed, they're not cursed. Um, just see, you know, the wonder. So, um, another thing that's interesting in terms of, of renunciation, if you don't have anything, it's not so, if you're a poor person, it's not such a big thing to say, like, I'm renounced. Like, you never had anything. Like, but if you have a lot of access to sense gratification, wealth, and beautiful women, and so on, to be detached in that circumstance, that's exceptional. And just like with the Six Goswamis, specifically Rupa and Sanatana, they had huge, they were billionaires. And, you know, Prabhupada talks about their, the quantity of gold they had, and then and he was talking about if you translate it into modern dollars, they were billionaires. And they gave it all up and accepted a loincloth and slept under trees. You know, who, who's more renounced than that? But for someone who's very poor, and granted they may be renounced, but... It's not as impressive in, in one sense if you, if you never really had anything to be renounced. So, um, anyways, I'm starting to ramble, so I will wind it up there. Yes, dear Prabhu. There's that line from that song if you ain't got nothing, you ain't got nothing to lose. That's the hopeless condition. And although the six Goswamis, they were so renounced, they would sleep under a different tree every night. It's not the same thing as the homeless people in the city who sleep under a different bridge or a different dumpster every night. There's a different quality of their renunciation. And they were very clean. Something else from someone? I was speaking, did you have something? I was speaking with David, as we so fondly call him David the harp player. I told him that. I said, when I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, yeah, I was talking to Durla, my friend in North Carolina, and I said, David the harp player. And then I realized, I always call you David the harp player. And he says, yeah, I know. You know, it's like, it doesn't really bother me. But anyways, I was talking, because I'm, I'm turning 60 in two weeks. And uh, I felt like, here's one thing, I was never in the game, but I'm definitely out of the game. I was talking with Durlov and both, and, and, but the, uh, David, the harp player, was saying there was some psychiatrist, psychologist who, who had a very, he had, must have had some spiritual underpinnings. And when someone would call, come into him and be saying, my life is chaos, it's this, that, and so like, he's like, oh, like, very good. You know, this is a good thing. And then if somebody came in saying, things are really going well, you know, I, you know, I got all my ducks in the line and, you know, he'd say like, I'll be here for you in this difficult period. Because <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the intoxication it's poison. And what is it? Hari Hari Vipale, Prabhupada said, that's his, wasn't it Govinda, or no, uh, Jamona asked Prabhupada what his favorite, 
Bao Chan was, how do you very deep I willingly drunk and poison. Accepting, you know, material sense gratification is something of value. And that's the uh, the famous verse of Prahlad Maharaj, Nate Vidu Svartavitim Hi Vishnum Darasha Yi Bahir Arta Manina. Bahi means outside and arta means something of value. So when something superficial or external, when you consider that valuable, then you can't take up spiritual life. It's just you have to be Tamama Kinchana Gotaram. You have to be materially exhausted. And uh, to not be aware of, or to, to still think that even at, with the demise of our material body, that there's still a chance I can squeeze something out. It's the greatest, um, you say, it's the most pathetic thing. And Prabhupada, look, what was what Prabhupada went by a, uh, a golf course, and Prabhupada asked, what are they doing? And the devotees explaining, you know, they, because a lot of older people play golf. Not necessarily exclusively, but there's, it's, it's very common, retired people playing golf. So Prabhupada actually had a tear in his eye. He was, after he explained what they were doing, Prabhupada had a tear that they're simply wasting. This is the, the fag end of their life when they should at least at this point give up any hopes of material enjoyment and they're squandering it. In the Nectar of Instruction, Prabhupada talks about in their old age, playing cards, chewing gum. Old <laughs> people playing cards, chewing gum. Some other, you know, they just squander this most valuable asset of the human form of life. And, uh, and especially you know, in, when one is, has stronger, when the senses are stronger, it's, it's so essential to take up vigorously spiritual life because when your senses start to get weak and your body starts to fall apart it becomes a lot more difficult to keep your mind focused because you're just so preoccupied with dealing with your bodily issues so and with with one's spiritual strength developed over the course of a lifetime when your senses are stronger, then when it when it does become more difficult with the body, you'll have a fighting chance, you know. But without preparing before old age, without preparing, it just becomes like this this poor bus driver, you know, just bitter and angry, frustrated, you know, that um, without cultivating our attraction for Krishna then it is inevitable we'll be very unhappy in old age. It'll be very, very difficult. And, uh, and that's this, you know, I remember Jai Dujaswami, he was given a class in Los Angeles, and it was, it was something about Vanaprast at 50. He said, it's a deadline. And he said, I'm an editor. And he said, deadlines are good. Because without deadlines, we tend to procrastinate. So... With the advent of older age, it's like a deadline. It's like times, it, it, time, you know, time's up. 
it's there's and and so this is the you could say the happiness of old age is that I can't enjoy sense sense gratification anymore. And this verse, especially talking about sex life, but you know, there's just nothing there. There's no mojo. There's nothing left. You know, even though the mind is still attracted, and probably talk about the old men in Paris going to the naked dance clubs. So the mind still there, but the body, there's just nothing there. And if you don't, if you got no money, forget it. Years sunk. You know, you got no. There's nothing. I was talking when I was talking with David. You know, this the whole idea. You know, you know the the man wants the trophy wife, and the woman wants the prestige of a respectable husband. You know, can you know? Look at the one I got. Look at how big he is. And look what he provides for me. And you know, like I got it. You know. So without power, prestige, money, or whatever it's like, you got nothing. You got no collateral for attracting. And then, therefore, it just becomes like, and Prabhupada was talking about euthanasia, mercy killing. Just get rid of them. They're useless. They're just a burden on society. Nazi Germany, they had that whole plan of getting rid of the mentally disabled and the the elderly. It's just a burden on society. So, Whereas conversely, in, in, in a spiritual society, the, the elderly who have been practicing spiritual life, they have so much to give in wisdom that they're worshipable. You know, the, those that have been cultivating spiritual life and now that they're at the, at the end of their life, they've they've accumulated so much realization and knowledge and that they're really, their only job is just to pour that knowledge and realization out to the younger people of society. You know, they're such a valuable asset, but in materialistic society, useless. Such a sad, such a sad state of affairs. Yes, Prabhu. Just, uh, I just appreciate the structure of Prabhupada's purport. You know, he's, he's blasting sense gratification, the utility of material enjoyment. And then he always gives the, uh, the upside. So he says, in spiritual life, we can enjoy sense enjoyment, which has no end. So he's always giving us uh, the positive alternative. Stay high forever, dance forever with Krishna. And that's very, it's a real distinguishing feature of Krishna consciousness. It's nothing ultimately uh, what, oppressive or repressive or suppressive. It's just coming. It is everlasting and joyfully performed. As that one reporter was interviewing Prabhupada and said, what is the meaning of life or what is the purpose of life? And Prabhupada said, the purpose of life is to enjoy, both real enjoyment, yeah. you know, Brahma Sokyam, unending. Yeah. Also, for a current, if anybody wants to go online, I hope it's still there. If you go on Dandavat, and you scroll down, there's a the vintage video of David Susskind having been devoted to David Susskind, he was always famous for trying to understand people. 
that was his, he had this famous show called <coughs> Open End. It was after Johnny Carson. And he was just more intellectual. So he had these now famous devotees on, you know, real high time. But they were just twenty somethings then. And he was always trying to understand what, you know, where do you get your fun? You know, and the devotees were trying to explain them what fun was. But in the beginning and the end, they had this wild kirtan right in the studio with David Suspense. And you really saw how the devotees were enjoying like anything, chanting and dancing. And it was just a different world from where David Suspense was coming from. We can't eat that. And he said to book media at point. Did you, when you, you married to him, huh? According to Bardra. So did you date? <laughs> did you give her a hug before you? <laughs> and they were just laughing. I'll, I'll end with this story. Rita Anandamaraj was talking about his first meeting Prabhupada. He was at a, an event on the campus of Berkeley. Yeah. And he had seen some other yogi types and he was really discouraged because he said these, they no philosophy at all. So he said when Prabhupada came in to the hall for this lecture, said Prabhupada just carried himself like a like a commander. He just said, This is serious. But it was the kirtan and he said he wanted to get right in with the devotees and the devotees were I guess I don't know if they were sitting at the first part, but at at, at the end they had kirtan. And the devotees were dancing, and he said he was so disoriented, he said literally it, it was like he was upside down, and the devotees were flying, you know. And he said, and I could understand that, he said, I could appreciate it, but I couldn't enter into it deeply. And he said he innately understood, because they're practicing austerity and sacrifice. They're actually committed to a path, therefore they're able to relish this. And I don't have access, even though I can see it, but I can't experience it because I knew I wasn't committed to, you know, a path of renunciation. Great class, thank you. You're welcome. Happy birthday, Prabhu. Thank you.